It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are so excited to be joined by Congressman Mondaire Jones, the freshman representing New York's 17th district, one of our very favorite new voices in the House. Uh, Thank you so much for being here, Congressman. How are you doing today? I am doing well. I'm ready to expand the Supreme Court. How are you doing? I know you are. We are also. I'm ready to do that. <laughs> Let's do it. Where do we begin? I guess this is okay. So, yeah. So, I guess first question is where do we begin in this process? I mean, one of the things that you've said in the past week, which I think a lot of folks on the left were like, I'm glad he's saying it because we all had the thought, um, which is that Justice Breyer is is not a young a young man. He's a, he's an older man, older gentleman. Um, and while you know his record on the court. Um, is laudable. Uh, we 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 did live through uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing away during a Republican presidency, um, and we're living with the reality of um, you know three justices being seated that uh, really really changed the court <laughs> in dramatic fashion. So, in terms of Justice Breyer. Why, why did you feel it necessary to sort of make the point that a lot of us have been thinking, but we're too afraid to say out loud? You know, I'm so used to telling the truth that I didn't realize it would make headlines when I responded <laughs> to an unanticipated question in an interview last week with Cheddar. Um, but look, you know, I think the president of the United States deserves to appoint uh, one or more justices uh, and, and, and by a point, I mean to nominate and then for the Senate to confirm who are going to uphold the right to vote in this country. Uh, and so t- to, to answer your question earlier about where do we start, we start with the acknowledgement that our democracy is in crisis. And the fact is the, the far right majority on the Supreme Court has been an accomplice in the assault on our democracy for many years. And if we don't create space for younger Supreme Court justices to serve uh, for a long time in the way that Trump was able to get so many of his, uh, not just Supreme Court justices, but lower court judges confirmed uh, in in, in their youth, uh, then then we will really see this court for generations. So there's there, you know, court expansion is something that has been discussed before, even in 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 our, um, you know, relatively short lives. Um, It's always been seen as something kind of radical, even though it's happened several times in our nation's history, just not in the last 35 years. Um, What do you think is different about this moment? Like, why why do you think? We have so many, not just activists, but also members, elected members of legislative bodies jumping on board with this idea. What changed? So, so much, so much. Thank you for noting that the size of the Supreme Court has been changed seven times before in our nation's history, including 
on occasions where Congress did it uh, to defeat white supremacy. You know, I think back to 1866, uh, President Lincoln had been assassinated and his vice president, Andrew Johnson, had become president. Uh, he actually was not in favor of, of ending slavery. Uh, and rather than allow him to appoint a white supremacist to the Supreme Court, Congress actually reduced the size of the Supreme Court over a, a sort of phase and process, uh, a multi-year process. And, and when I think about what happened in the year 2013 in, in modern hit times, the far right Roberts Court striking down the heart of the Voting Rights Act, which had just years before been reauthorized unanimously in the Senate. When does that ever happen? Uh, and nearly unanim mm -hmm. unanimously in the House of Representatives, uh, it speaks to the fact that today, uh, over the past decade or so, we have a far-right majority that is hostile to democracy itself. And the only way to defeat that is to ensure that we have balance on the court that will not strike down, for example, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act once we pass it in the House and in the Senate later this year after we have hearings on that, uh, that will not strike down before the People Act, also known as H.R. 1, because there are provisions in, the, in H.R. 1 and there will be provisions, key provisions, in, in, the, in the new Voting Rights Act that we passed that the Supreme Court will be hostile to. We know that based on prior rulings. Uh, and the fact is, uh, this is a scenario that we are in because Republicans held an open seat for 14 months after Antonin Scalia died through a non-existent rule that they invented and then reneged on that rule when they ran through Amy Coney Barrett just a few months ago as, as votes were being tabulated in a, in a presidential election that was underway. So it is Republicans who have politicized this. I mean, it feels to me like... I mean that's that's a true statement um and it feels to me like i think the american public understand that the supreme court is politicized but do you think that they understand that it's not supposed to be because i feel like you know for we're in 2021 oh, bush, bush v gore was 2000 i would argue you know the supreme court has been at least viewed by the public as being pretty political since then um so i don't know I don't know that sort of the voter, the average voter is like super concerned about um, whether or not the Supreme Court has become more political because I think they assumed it had at least for the last 20 years. So how do you sort of make it vivid in the mind of voters that the Supreme Court being political is a not, you know, the way the founders intended and B is actually leading to bad outcomes? Everything is relative, right? So while many Americans are distrustful or even antagonistic towards the Supreme Court, uh, they're even more so towards Congress and uh, certainly over the past four years towards the executive branch. Uh, but the fact is, we have a responsibility as advocates. Now I'm speaking about myself as a member of Congress to educate the public about what the third branch of government should be. And that is, uh, a branch of government that uh, that upholds the right to vote in this country, uh, that does not allow unlimited corporate spending in our elections in the way that the Roberts Court did when it decided Citizens United, uh, that uh, doesn't uh, allow partisan gerrymandering of 
districts on steroids as it did in that 2019 Rucho decision. Uh, and of course, I, I fear that what it will ultimately take to seal the deal is a particularly draconian decision coming down from the United States Supreme Court uh, that overturns a precedent that the American public had just taken for granted. Uh, and I would mm -hmm. hate for it to be overturning Roe v. Wade mm. or some other foundational decision uh, that, again, people just had come to take for granted uh, in a civilized society. I am leading the charge so in setting the stage for an expansion that will restore balance to the court and restore the respect that the court once enjoyed. I mean, most Americans don't want a 6-3 anything. And so the idea that we got this 6-3 far-right majority uh, through, yeah, through basically shenanigans uh, that the public is aware of, mm -hmm. having lived through the past four or five years uh, with, with Mitch McConnell at the helm of the United States Senate, uh, is, is unconscionable. You're sort of you're you're playing two tracks at the same time here, like expanding the court is a laudable goal and one that if it comes to pass, I, you know, I think a lot of a lot of activists, uh, a lot of a lot of people who care about democracy and representative democracy will be happy to see. But that point you made about the the ignition that we might need to make that happen being a draconian um, anti-democratic ruling from the court that becomes less likely because you're talking about expanding the court right now. Like we've been told by legal scholars for months now that the court is very responsive to um, concerns of legitimacy. So if they feel like there is an actual threat to their legitimacy, that draconian ruling that overturns a foundational tenet of our country is actually less likely to occur because Roberts might might keep it together, which means you might not get the ignition to expand the court that you need, but also we might get rulings that don't register as as out of step with the country as we are. Is that is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> like like you, you might be preventing the thing that will help you accomplish your goal. However, that thing is real bad. <laughs> you, you know, I, I want a Supreme Court that oppose the rule of law and that is committed to the preservation of our democracy. Uh, you know, what I think these scholars are referring to is what happened uh, when FDR was president, uh, where when he threatened to expand right. the court after that majority had been striking down New Deal legislation known as the Lochner era, uh, the court changed its tune and began to uphold New Deal legislation. Here's the thing. I'm serious about this. I'm not I'm not doing this uh, for the purpose of g getting the Supreme Court to 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 rule differently. Uh, I'm doing it because I think it's required, and that is because even if Justice Roberts uh, were to rule with integrity all of a sudden on the issue of our democracy, and by the way, for all the accolades he's received, he has been consistently hostile to voting rights. Uh, he's not seen a voter suppression effort that he has found to be unconstitutional in his time on the court, and that is deeply disturbing. Um, uh, even if he were to join the other three justice, the other three liberal, so-called liberal justices on the court, with the with the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett, good luck. I mean, there is there would still be a five-four far-right majority. 
So, so there would be a lot that would have to change. And I'm not optimistic that the Supreme Court majority is willing to do that. But if that remains to be seen. Meanwhile, myself and others will lead the charge and make the case. And it is increasingly supported by the American people, even in the days following our introduction of the Judiciary Act of 2021 on Thursday of last week. So what's the what are the practical steps to, to actually do this, to make it make it real? We have to make a case to the American people. Members of Congress respond to public opinion. And of course, there is now a lobbying effort underway by myself and others in the Congress as it concerns our colleagues who understand that we need to add justices to the Supreme Court, uh, but in many instances need some encouragement. Uh, first, it was introducing the bill, which no one had introduced. I'm so excited to have introduced it, uh, along with the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler, and the chair of the House Subcommittee on the Courts, which I also vice chair, uh, and that gentleman is Hank Johnson of Georgia. And so this is a very serious project. Uh, and already many people have told me that they will be co-sponsoring this legislation. I'm very excited about that. I, I want to ask you about um, the, the the multitude of, of threats to our democracy. The, the anti-democratic leaning of the court and the anti-democratic makeup of the court is certainly one of the one of the largest. Um, but you experienced something on January 6th on a more personal level than I think you know most most Americans did. We were watching it on on television. Um, you have continued to serve with apologists for the insurrection. Apologists is sort of the, the kindest thing um, I could say about them. I'm not calling them participants at this point. Um, but you have to serve with them every day. How? How do you square that? Are, are you able to be civil with these folks or is it a, a constant barrage on on our democracy? I'm just I, I, I'm so baffled every morning that you all still have to go to work with people who are OK with what happened to you. And I just wanted to ask what it felt like from from the inside there. Uh, it, it is easily the most shocking part of the job, having to serve with colleagues who nearly got you killed and who have expressed no remorse for their bad behavior. And by that, I am talking about my Republican colleagues, uh, two-thirds of whom in the House voted just hours after nearly dying alongside me uh, to overturn the presidential election, uh, continuing to perpetuate the big lie of mass voter fraud uh, that was instrumental in inciting that violent insurrection on January 6th. Uh, those people have not yet been held accountable. Obviously, law enforcement is investigating a number of folks who were some of the more higher profile uh, people who incited that insurrection. But the fact is, if, if you voted to overturn the presidential election, you are part of an apparatus that actively pushed that myth. Uh, and so... You know, I'm, I, I say hi to people in the hallway. <laughs> you know, I, I am cordial <laughs> to people, uh, even as I have called specifically for people to be expelled uh, and to resign. Uh, that is the cognitive dissonance required of, yeah. of, of many of us today in the Congress. Uh, but I'm, I'm so grateful that the night before January 6th, we had won those uh, runoffs in Georgia, which meant that we would take back the United States Senate and actually legislate 
in the best interests of the American people, and that is precisely what we have done. I'm proud to be a fresher member of Congress who has brought many hundreds of millions of dollars directly to his district through the American Rescue Plan uh, to have been pl- to have played a leading role in passing the For the People Act in the House and now working to pass it in the Senate uh, and, of course, to further save our democracy by expanding the court and passing the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Act. Yeah, I remember a time when freshman Congress people like they sat and they listened and they 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 decided to make their move maybe on their second term, maybe on their set. You hit the ground running and then some and like a whole bunch of your freshman class did, too. And I just love to see it. There's no question in there. I'm just glad that you guys are doing that. <laughs> I, love that. I, I appreciate I appreciate that very much. And and I also serve on the, the Democratic leadership team as, as the youngest member and uh, which I think is surprising to people who had been criticizing me in my primary the year before about how he's not going to be able to hit the ground, ground running. He's never held elected office. You, you've, got, you've got so many younger progressive members of Congress now who are speaking with urgency, and we are moving with facility, not just on social media, uh, but also in, in, in committee hearings, you know, bringing our, our lived and also professional experiences to bear, and we are not holding back because we are facing overlapping crises, and we bring a sense of urgency that not everyone in the Congress brings. I mean, I think that's like such a critically important point um, in this moment because the pandemic feels like it, it sort of it sped up the awareness of most people of like the systemic problems that everybody's been pointing out for for many generations. But I feel like the pandemic was like, it took sort of the the lid off and everybody was like, oh, wait, I see them too. Do you get the sense that there's more of a receptive electorate to not just progressive ideas, but even the idea that you bring your lived experience to your job because it matters? Yes. So as an initial matter, I think white America is more understanding today of the role that racism plays in our society than it was before the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor uh, last, last spring. Um, I, I see it in my own district, which, which is a majority white affluent district uh, where young white kids are leading their parents to rallies attended by many hundreds of people in Westchester and in Rockland counties, it is such a beautiful sight to behold because it shows that a multiracial democracy is still possible if we fight for it. Uh, I also would <laughs> would challenge anyone to listen to a speech, you know, that I gave on the Equality Act as you know the first openly gay African American member of Congress, along with my colleague Richie Torres, and 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 conclude that somehow uh, personal experience doesn't matter when it comes to the task of legislating in Congress and the the Equality Act being that bill that would finally enshrine protections for the LGBTQ community and our federal anti-discrimination law. You know, my colleague Richie, who grew up in public housing, is is leading the charge on providing more resources in, uh, in this American Jobs Plan for public housing. You know, Jamal Bowman, uh, my, my colleague directly to the south of me in Westchester County, is, is leading on, on issues of educational equity. Corey Bush from Missouri, uh, the distinguished gentle lady from St. Louis, is just a tremendous member of 
the the House Judiciary Committee with me, and uh, and she is the first you know Black Lives Matter activist to be elected to Congress, and it shows in everything she does, and it's it is so wonderful to to have a diversifying Congress because we get better policy outcomes that way. Yeah, this gives me hope. Congressman, um, please come back and tell us how your plan for court expansion is going and what our audience can do to to help move that along. It's been really wonderful talking to you this morning. Yes. Likewise. Thank you so much. Please stay safe. Thank you. Will do. Take care. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening. 